shabadoo, shabadee. Let's talk about the RPGs. Greetings, programs. It's Hank and Fernell back once again with Runehammer. Nice to have you, and thanks for tuning in. We're back with another RPG Talks. This is episode nine, if you can believe that. Just want to uh, kick it off right away by welcoming all the new patrons. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but uh, maybe it's just the imp- improved focus of the Patreon page here. But we've had several new patrons show up in the past week. And uh, hey, man, you guys welcome a lot, no matter what your level. Thank you. Appreciate it. And let's keep this crazy party rolling. Okay, so for episode nine of RPG Talks, I had a few things. Um, well, you know how we do it. We we kind of talk what we're going to talk about, and then we talk about what we said we're going to talk about. So that's how we do. First of all, we got one little piece in the mailbag. The mailbag's pretty been uh, pretty quiet this week. I'm not sure why, um, but there it is. But we do have one item, and then uh, sort of a conversation about the difference between ideas and desires and how this is a part of your creative technique when you're building gameplay for your players. And so let's just jump right into that. Where's that mailbag music? Let's just hit it. Mailbag day, mailbag day. Let's go see what's in the mail today. All right, let's rummage around in here. What do we got? What do we got in the mailbag here? What is all this stuff? Ah, here we go. Okay. So the most uh, interesting piece of mail that I got in the past week um, was from uh, a viewer on uh, Facebook. And his question is, uh, I have a session coming up. It's the opening session of our campaign. And I find myself just going in these mental loops of preparing the session, preparing the world and preparing little sort of a stem of a story. And then, no, maybe it could be like this. And then, no, maybe it could be like that. And then, you know, go back to the beginning and redo it. And he's just going in circles over and over and over again. And his question is, how can I get some relief from this? You know, the session's coming up and I'm just going in circles about what the first session could be. Well, unfortunately, I don't have a solution for stopping your brain from going in circles like that. I have some of those same behaviors, but the more interesting and the more answerable question here is like, how do you approach that first session in a way that's going to get you a lot of fun and not make you go completely bonkers in the meantime, right? We don't want to go crazy. Going crazy is bad (laughs) and nothing will make you go crazy quicker than brain loops. You know, nobody likes brain loops. Uh, You know, if you have ever been in a time of great uncertainty in life or you know, ever had a loved one in the hospital or anything like that, you know what I mean about these brain loops where you just, you're going in circles in your head and it can really make you crazy. So we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is prepare for this opening session by just having a place. And this seems like not enough data to get started, but this is going to put you into a spot where you're going to be forced to play in the sort of most advanced way. So in my mind, the most advanced form of Dungeon Master is the one whose group is unified enough where he can basically provide locations and little else. And all of the impetus and the movement and the pace, the danger, the purpose, the revelations, those are mostly driven by player actions. Now, this is much easier to execute in an opening session than in a deep campaign session. In a deep campaign session, the amount of context and expectation around any given chunk of gameplay is gonna, you know, gonna weigh you down and make your job, you know, to be fair, a little more difficult. But at the beginning, if you have a stretch of road 
heading toward a town and some goblins or gnolls or kobolds hiding in the bushes, you're set. Now, that may not seem like enough, but remember, these players need to get into the game. They need to talk to each other. They need to ask questions about town, about what their purpose in life is, where they're headed and why. They need to make some statements that show off who they are. They need to look around. They need to investigate. They need to, there's a lot to do. And you don't need a big moving castle puzzle to open up (laughs) your campaign. You do need some danger, though. And this is where these sort of, these, you know, road terrorizers or brigands or, you know, rogues or thieves are hiding in the bushes. And they jump out and provide a low-level threat to your party, but enough so that this group of people can experience danger together, can see how they react to danger in different ways, and begin to build their identities. Now, that opening battle, you want it to be enough where there's plenty of things for them to do, but not to where it's a slog or it's frightening. So this is why small little sort of mooky enemies are so great at the beginning of a campaign, because you get all these small victories. The last thing you want to do in this opening encounter is pop out a big bullet sponge enemy who everybody is pounding on and nobody gets that feeling of a kill. You want everybody getting three to four kills right away to get that feeling of like, wow, my character really does work. This character's cool. And then how characters behave as they take damage and dish out damage is the first real chunk of tasty role-playing you're going to get. And with that in mind, then they can sort of arrive at a tavern and have some context of who they are, what they want to be, and where they want to go, and what they want to do. This is a lot like if you go sort of hiking for a day, right? The, the people going hiking don't do all their sitting and talking and laughing at the beginning of the day. You get up early, you go hiking, and then when you've all gone through the hike together, you've all experienced it together, that's when you're coming home and you stop off for a beer and everybody has, you know, feels like they know each other a lot better and you have this context. And so this is what I would invite you, uh, you guys to try as an answer to this sort of planning paralysis problem in the mailbag is think about just offering a location and say, okay, you guys are in this location. And yeah, there's a couple perils in this location. But, you know, my whole story about this crazy, you know, cult and this undead dragon and the way this town has actually fallen under an evil spell, but nobody knows it yet, and I'm going to reveal it five sessions from now. No, you're going to postpone all that stuff. And you're just going to give the players a chance to take the wheel, you know, drive around with some training wheels, get some kills, feel good about themselves, do a little bit of chit-chat, there's some funny lines, and that's your entire first session. And you're like, is that even enough? Oh yeah, totally. You guys know how it is, you know? You think it's gonna be 10 minutes of gameplay, it's two hours. So uh, this is a little bit of a mantra, but I do think it's it's worth repeating because it still keeps showing up in the mailbag, which is like, dude, my first session is coming up. That's probably the preamble to half the questions that I get. My first session is coming up, question. Right. And so I think this is where you want to be is like, remember, you're going to be introducing the game. You're going to be introducing the people. You're going to be getting used to your table space together or your roll 20 space together. And like, there's a lot of other stuff to do. So a nice, simple encounter is going to be a real hoot. And uh, there's nothing simpler than just like, hey, we need to get from point A to point B. It goes through the woods and there's some dudes that are going to jump out in the woods. Man, that's just. That is classic stuff. Now, if you want to get a little weirder with it, well, maybe they're undead. Maybe they're, 
You know, maybe they're these cult members. Maybe later on they're going to find out who these guys were that jumped them in the woods. Maybe your characters are the the chosen ones and like they're being hunted and they're going to find this out later. And so, and all that is is great, but it still boils down to that same thing, which is the opening encounter, the opening session is really just a location. And the rest is all just players talking, asking questions, having fun and laughing. Okay. So that was kind of an answer. I hope that helps on this question about planning paralysis is, unfortunately, I give this kind of a, you know, go around answer, which is like, there's no way to really solve planning paralysis. Just don't plan so much. (laughs) Now on your second session, you might be up the creek. You're going to be planning a lot and you might want to blow their minds and everybody's really into it and you want to do something really special. So (laughs) that could be an entire episode of RPG talks right there is like basically planning method. So you don't go into these loops of, of doubt and, and redo and, and overthink, but that is not what we're talking about today. So thanks for sending it in. And everybody, please feel free to send your questions and your concerns, your stories, your tales of legend and woe uh, directly to me on my email or to Facebook. And we'll toss it in the mailbag. Okay, so that's it for mailbag today. And I think I'm just going to, I'm just going to mailbag day, mailbag day. Let's go see what's in the mail today. All right, so we got that uh, little bit of house cleaning out of the way. Now let's get to the real Anite, Agrete. So in trying to make RPG trucks the real focus of Patreon, you know, I sat down with my, my journal and had a beer next to me there and gave some really hard thought about what is the essence of RPG talks? What do I want to talk about next? What's usable content that I can deliver that people can listen to while they're while they're walking their daily walk with their dog or they're commuting to work. And I got, was getting a little bit ahead of myself. I wanted to talk about the, uh, the stills of Thumbish rescue mission adventure that I'm working on. I wanted to talk about some new monster designs that I'm working on and some of the uh, principle and methodology between, between, behind monster creation. But I realized I needed to set a little bit of a tone first as far as creative method and creative theory. Now, you guys know me. I think a lot about how using your own psychology as part of your creative method is very important for getting not only good results, but more results, being durable creatively, being prolific, being all over it, being all about it, staying fresh, right? This is a common challenge in a hobby that can span years. So I wanted to talk about, to me, this sort of fundamental level about how to prepare your brain as well as train and refine your brain to be a creativity machine. And I wanted to propose two concepts. And the concept here, or the dichotomy of concepts, the pair of the binary concepts that I want to present, which in some way are opposites, but they also sort of circle one another, is the idea or the Concept, I got to watch out my wordage here, the concept of idea having versus desire having. Okay, so let me just talk about desire first, which we all know this feeling, man, I really want a blah. I really want to play a campaign where there's like, you know, cool like metal bikinis and like giant snakes and it's got that real, you know, Conan flavor. I really want to be in a game like that or I really want to run a game like that. I really want this, you know, feeling like that there's these creepy ape men that are, you know, 
about to take over society and I want to run these sort of encounters where these ape men are swarming and I, I want to see these kinds of scenes because they're so cool in that novel I just read or whatever, right? We've all felt this sensation as RPG enthusiasts. It's this desire to be part of something or desire to experience a certain type of, of fun, right? I really want to be in a Shadowrun campaign, you know? I've never really done cyberpunk and I really want to do cyberpunk. So that's the sort of first type of impulse that I think we all are very familiar with feeling. You know, this desire to experience XYZ in our hobby. Okay, now on the other side of this coin that I want to talk about is idea having, not desire having. And when you have an idea, now you guys know, this is vastly different from having a desire. When you have an idea, you kind of say to yourself, oh, you know, it'd be cool, or, oh, that's how that room could work, or, oh, that monster would be crazy if he, right? And the key to me about idea having is how a lot of those statements that I'm providing begin, which is, oh, <laughs> that's the feeling of an idea hitting you. Now, when a desire hits you, you don't go, oh, I really want to play in a Conan game. No. Because ideas are a form of realization, whereas de uh, desires and wants are just vocalizing. And now what I want to talk about is how your brain prepares for these two things. Because I think these two pieces are the essence of what keeps you coming back for more in RPGs and what can make you a creative juggernaut in RPGs to get you this creative satisfaction that I know we all chase. So on the one hand, how can you increase this desire? What, what in your daily life can you do so that you're always wanting, you're always wanting more? Well, this is the filling, the filling of the brain. Now, I really believe that filling the brain with input is what leads to wanting. So it's just like... Um, you know, you eat a few potato chips, right? You eat a few Lay's or a few like Pringles and you get that salty rush. What do you want? You want more. You want more of that delicious saltiness. And I think this is very similar. So you read your Conan comic book and you say to yourself, oh man, I want more of that. I want to get in there, right? Or you watch, you know, Logan's Run or Altered Carbon, right? And you're like, ooh, I, I want more of that. I want more of that cool cyberpunky feel. You know, I want to, I want that in my life. I want that. You know, it's like you go on an amazing hike one day and see this wonderful vista of, you know, mountains and landscape. And you say to yourself, man, I want to do that again. That was great. So to me, if you, if you desire to keep wanting, to keep having that sort of kid mind about RPGs, my suggestion is to continually fill your mind with new things and go for quality. Try to find the best of the best of whatever it is you're interested in. And consume it, whether it's books, comic books, movies, uh, poetry, food, costuming, whatever. But all these different things in your life are going to lead you into new possibilities and new desires of what you want to do. And that desire is what's going to drive you into new experiences, drive you to meet new people, drive you to join new games, drive you to learn new tools, all this other stuff. And so this may seem somewhat obvious, but I think it's easy to lose track of this stuff, you know? What do you spend most of your time doing? 
not filling your brain with excitement, most of us spend the majority of our time working. Now, work is very important in life, but it generally is not a filling of the mind. It's usually an emptying. It's a, it's a, a putting out there. You take the contents of your mind, you put it to use for the sake of your job, and you're paid for that. You're paid for that release of brain, that use up of brain. But to put in is to do what you love. It's to absorb, to fill. And so is it obvious? Perhaps. But I think it's useful as a daily mantra to say, I, I, wanna, I need to get some more in here. I need, to, I need to keep these wheels turning is a way that it's commonly described, right? I need to keep my fantasy mind alive. If, if I just do this sort of real or banal or mundane life, my fantasy mind starts to starve and I lose the desire and I kind of just want to, you know, veg out <laughs> after work, right? So this is the simpler side to me. Fueling desire with a filling up of the brain is really quite simple. And I think almost all of us have this instinct, which is that we get interested in consuming media and other things relative to our interests and hobbies, and they fuel the hobby in turn. That's a pretty common way to keep your interest in things moving. Now, the more interesting side is ideas. Now, desire is something that you do with your conscious brain. I want blah. But in my experience and in my belief, the best ideas are surprising. They come and get you. So if you sit down and you have your pen in your hand, you ever feel this? You get your journal out, you got your pen, you're in the mood, you want to design a cool room for your next session. But then there's nothing there. You got no ideas. And you sit there and you doubt yourself, you get frustrated and you have, you have a soda and then you kind of wander off and then you're, you're out mowing the lawn two hours later and then boing, it hits you. You get this idea and you have to run inside and write it down. Now, to me, that is a very common way, especially for getting some of the very best ideas. And that is commonly referred to as pre-conscious thinking. So have you ever had this one where you can remember like the name of that actor in a movie, but only after you quit trying to remember the name of the actor in the movie? That's because your pre-conscious mind is extremely good at making subtle connections and subtle inferences and either recalling or creating data based on those subtleties. Your conscious mind, however, is distracted with a zillion things, like its desires, its responsibilities, its, its memories, the next few moments, the last few moments, right? But the pre-conscious mind works on levels that are beyond much of what the shallower brain is capable of, and this is why wonderful ideas come from there. Now you're saying, okay, dude, that's fine, but how the heck am I supposed to control this stupid pre-conscious mind? <laughs> it sounds like it's beyond my sort of ego part of my brain. It is. It is, and that is the unfortunate part, but you can train and prepare to be more ready when the pre-conscious mind does its work. How do you do this? Well, this is a two-step piece, and this is basically the art of getting smarter. The art of getting smarter is not filling your brain with information. That's the art of knowing more. There's a great difference. The art of getting smarter is making a landscape that is conducive to pre-conscious thinking. Whoa, what is all that? There's two pieces here. One is easy and one is hard. Let's do the easy one first. When the pre-conscious mind does speak, when you do get a eureka or an aha or an oh moment, 
you have to have tools ready to get it on paper, to get it down, at least in some short form. And this is why, you know, I kind of have my journal with me wherever I go. (laughs) You never know when terror is going to strike and you want to be able to just make a quick jot no matter where you are or what you're doing. Okay, that's the easy part. Be ready for the pre-conscious mind to do work at weird moments and be able to capture it because it'll slip away and you'll forget it very quickly, almost like a dream. Now, the more interesting and more difficult part of training the pre-conscious mind and preparing your conscious mind to capture its dividends is the emptying. And it is the opposite of the desire enhancement behavior of filling your brain. This is crazy. But the more that your mind is occupied, the less the pre-conscious mind can do its work. This means if you're worried, if you're anxious, if life is kind of beating you down a little bit and you're a bit adrift, that your brain is entirely occupied with paying bills and making sure that you come through on responsibilities and worrying about the outcome of this situation that you're just not sure what's going to happen and trying to force the information out of this other thing because you need to make a big decision and, oh, and then, oh, this bill, I forgot about that and I need to get that done. And when you're in that state, your preconscious mind is bowing out. It is basically not there. And so the most common way to get access to this preconscious mind is to develop an activity that you do daily that is partially physical, at least partially physical. The physical activity moves you. And the more that your body is moving, the less you are spending all your brain on all your worries. Your worries and your concerns are not going to magically go away because you take a walk around the park. (laughs) It is not going to happen. You will still be worried about your bills and the other situation and the thing you have to make a decision on. It's not going to be magic. But what can happen is that if you stick to that daily routine, then day after day, you find yourself looking forward to this physical activity because it is where you learn to, for the moment, Let all those thoughts come and go as they choose. Now, you can't tell yourself, I'm going to keep all thoughts out of my mind. I'm going to empty my mind. No, you can't do that. You won't be able to. (laughs) Even the Zen masters aren't capable of doing that. All you need to do is let them rise and fall. Let them enter and let them go. And look at the tree over there and then say hello to the neighbor. And then, you know, pick up the dog poop and then (laughs) keep walking and keep walking. And then, oh, look, there's some kids playing and keep walking. Look at those clouds. There's enough coming in and out of your experience when you're doing something involving activity that you may not be perfect in emptying your mind, but you'll notice after a half an hour, oh, hey, there's about 10 minutes there. I didn't think about all my problems and worries. Now, it may just seem like taking a break, but what's actually happening is your pre-conscious mind is finally breathing and beginning to do work. And if there's ever a moment when you're going to have one of these aha ideas It's at this moment. You know what can also be a moment that this happens is when you're eating. You're you're sitting there focused in on scooping up your mac and cheese and slicing up your steak. And you realize for a few minutes there, I wasn't thinking about my worries and my concerns. And while you were engrossed in that activity, your pre-conscious mind was doing work. And so the way that you can stack the dice in this type of behavior is to develop a daily activity or routine where you get 
away from all of those worries and concerns. Now, you don't have to dump them because, frankly, it's impossible. You don't even have to try to sort of, you know, be rid of them. But you set the habit. You show up. You move your body. You get your blood pumping. And let's say you go to the gym for an an hour every day, which is a big commitment. There will maybe be 15 minutes in that hour where accidentally you weren't thinking about all your worries and concerns all your daily sort of real world needs and, you know, these situations and decisions and all this stuff that we all deal with every day. But for the pre-conscious mind, 15 minutes is a lot of time. And you may not even get the idea at that moment. The pre-conscious thinking may just occur. It may be a couple days later that then the dividends of that take place. And I think the funny part about this whole weird, obtuse kind of talk that I'm giving is that this very RPG talk that I'm discussing right now came to me because of this type of behavior. I had a strange and oddly timed moment of going, oh, you know, there really are two sides to to what I'm doing here. And how can I fuel them? There's my desire side, which makes me want to play. You know, it makes me want to play with friends. It makes me want to roll characters. It makes me want to draw monsters. It makes me want to just roll dice and feel the thrill. It makes me want to find out what happens in the story next. But then there's the other part, which is ideas that usually I feel almost like annoyed by, like, oh man, this idea is so good. I got to get this down before it slips away. You know, like, oh, that's what that talk could be. Oh yeah, okay, it could be about that. Okay, I need to get that written down. It's totally different method of thinking. So then I've spent the last week asking myself what gives rise to those those two parts of how I think and how can I keep working on it. And also just, you know, lately in life, um, you know, there's a lot of change for me to adapt to. And part of the way that I've been doing it is using like guided meditations on YouTube. And these guided meditations are almost always focused on releasing thought releasing worry, at least temporarily, letting thoughts rise and fall, letting them come and go. And and I've noticed a, a great deal of sort of pre-conscious benefit from it. Um, I've noticed that my com- commission work seems to be speeding up instead of stalling on a piece, which is very frequent for any of you artists out there. You sit down to do a piece and there's often an hour of pure terror where you don't know what you're doing or what it's going to look like. Or I've noticed that time being reduced. I can't say that like all my worries and concerns are reduced or gone, but I am developing a habit where I can be free of them, at least for a little bit of the day. And it feels good. And I think it brings me back to the workbench or back to the crafting table or back to the drawing tablet, a little bit refreshed and a little bit then to fill up and think about desire, which a lot of times I will, uh, you know, watch a movie in the background um, or I'll have an audiobook going in the background and that'll make me go, oh man, wouldn't a, wouldn't a campaign with Norse gods be cool because I'm listening to Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman, right? <laughs> There's that filling behavior. So how do you do this? Well, I think it's all about habit forming. And you know, the old adage is if you do something for three weeks, it becomes a habit. And so be careful what you do for three weeks, but try to do good things for three weeks to form those habits. And over time, maybe even over the span of years, you start to wear grooves in your consciousness that get you to your creative place quicker. 
Because let's face it, the hardest part of everything we do and love about this hobby is that fickle nature of being creative and being excited and being enthusiastic. You know, sometimes you're just a little too beat down from life to be enthusiastic about your third level halfling. And sometimes you're too distracted with, you know, real world complications and issues that are very serious to enjoy the hobby, which is the very thing you need to get relief from those serious situations. And so I would invite you to try to form some of these habits that can amplify both your formation of desire as well as your ability to use, access, and record the pre-conscious thinking that gives you those eureka ideas that seem to come out of the blue. They're not coming out of the blue. They're coming out of your wonderful, vast brain, and especially the portions of it that you don't directly control. Those are the smartest parts, <laughs> especially when it comes to creativity. So consider trying to develop those habits and, and join me as we, uh, we go forward and try to get better and better at this wonderful art form that is also writing, that is also hosting, that is a social and dynamic that we call RPGs and tabletop. And they're just constantly changing and evolving. And it blows my mind. It blows my, my conscious and my pre-conscious mind. They're both blown. <laughs> so I feel better that I got that off my chest. I've been rolling that around in my brain over and over for a week now. And uh, now that I have that out, I'm going to move on. The next few RPG talks, I think, are going to be a little bit more about content. So I'm actually going to run you guys through some of my newest content and uh, how I came up with it. And maybe parts of it could be usable. Maybe parts of it could get to your table. But uh, the, the crazy thing about RPG talks is this is basically the sort of uh, Runehammer equivalent of theater of the mind. I don't get to use visual aids. I don't get to show you guys crafting projects or dry erase maps or any of that stuff. It's all just in the verbiage. And this has been intriguing me creatively lately. So I want to try to dive into it a little bit. And the first one I'm going to do, which is going to be next week, is going to be the rescue of Stills of Thumish. So, you know, Stills is from the Rangers of Numidia. He was crushed and fell into the Underdark beneath Hathor Dur in the Straight Line Dungeon. And it seemed like he had been killed, but... We are going to go down there and rescue him, and we're going to talk through it in an RPG talk, and uh, if it seems like fertile ground, then maybe I'll even bring that whole creative experience over to YouTube. So, welcome all new patrons. Thanks for your support. It's great to have you here on Runehammer, and uh, welcome to the next week. We are in the future, guys. So, um, that is RPG, episode, RPG Talks Episode 9. Great to have you guys around, and uh, may your dice roll high this week, okay? This is Anchor and Fernale, signing off for Runehammer.